0: G'day, my name's Andrew. A special welcome to you um, on my part. If it's your first time, really great to have you with us or your first time after a while away. Welcome back. We're carrying on in our series on covenant um, for a couple of reasons. We're doing a, a Bible overview just to give ourselves a refresher on how God has chosen to reveal himself and save people from the beginning to the the end of the biblical revelation, but also to really be deeply, deeply encouraged by the fact that what God promises and what he does in making a covenant actually comes true, which gives us every good reason, especially as that's been completely fulfilled in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, gives us every good reason to trust Jesus. But to kick off uh, just a little bit of an exercise that we might do together. When the old thing was good, but the new thing is so much better. What do you think of? When, when the old thing was good, but the new thing so much better. I'm going to give you one minute. Talk to the people around you. What do you got? Okay. So what have you got? What did you think of? Just yell it out. Football. What was it? Football. Football. Okay, for the changing the five-meter to the 10-meter roll. Thank you, Stuart. That's very good. Other, other things? Old church, new church. Old church, new church. Praise God. That's a good thing. Old was good. New's going pretty good. <laughs> Praise God. Don't want to talk it up too much. Other things? Yeah. Old Testament, Old Testament new Testament. Gold star, senior <laughs> Sutherland. <laughs> good on you. Amen, amen, amen. Other things? Cookies. Cooking? Cookies. Cookies. Old cookies, new cookies. Fresh, yes. Stale cookies. Fresh cookies. Couple more. What did you get? I cannot hear you, Dave, I'm sorry. <coughs> the Olympics. The Olympics. Thank you, brother. <laughs> TV. Black and white, colour. The (laughs) love, amen. (laughs) Old Lubbock's new Lubbock's. (laughs) I had uh, a good one down here was toothbrush. You know, so conventional toothbrush to um, electric toothbrush. So it sounds like that's a revelation. Yep, it's going pretty well. (laughs) I've also got a family member who experienced that also. So it's a bit of an ad for electric toothbrushes. I thought of um, a couple of things. For a long time I had a Nokia mobile phone, right, which I loved. I loved that thing. Yeah. So I got a few nods. That's cool. I'm comforted by that. And my wife is a very early adopter of technology. And especially she's been an Apple lover from the earliest days. And so she was always on at me. You've got to change that old thing. You've got to change that old thing. And I liked it. You know, three taps on one button to get to the the letter that I wanted to (laughs) use for the text. And then I switched, I finally succumbed to her pressure after years and I can't believe how beautiful that iPhone was. (laughs) It's very good. Um, Also, I've had the... You might have had this experience as well, visiting what is now called the Old Parliament House and I really really enjoy that place, right, for some of the architecture and the closeness of it and also they've got the the audio going of some of the the old debates. Um, But I do remember being there actually on the day when what I call the new Parliament House was opened, and just walking into that place, unbelievable, how beautiful and spectacular, and well thought out, and you know, just well crafted everything is. And I thought, mate, that, that other little white thing down the bottom is a box. Um, this is a beautiful, you know, beautiful palace. The sheer scale and the beauty of it was so much better. And the the point here is this: um, this is the dynamic of covenant. It's kind of what we've been seeing, and it's especially what we're going to see tonight. The old initial covenant, absolutely great, but the new future covenant is just infinitely better. And that's what David is discovering as we meet him in this chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 7. What God's done for David is exceptional. And we'll talk a little bit more about this. Peace, stability, all his enemies have been batted off, but the future is infinitely better. David's kingdom is powerful. Yet his offspring's coming kingdom is eternal. And while the human part of covenant keeping has been jeopardized by human frailty and sin, the future of covenant keeping is guaranteed by David's descendant because he's in an absolute category of his own. He is the son of David, as far as his kind of human line is concerned, but he's the son of God. And so there's no more threat to the covenant fulfillment because of him. So the present covenant moment is good, but the future covenant is going to be stupendously better. And what I'm picking for my kind of key verses tonight is 2 Samuel 7, 11 to 14. If you want to grab open your Bible either on your phone um, or if you brought your paper Bible to open that up. And I'd like us to read that together. 2 Samuel chapter 7, from verse 11. I will also give you rest from all your enemies, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And that leads David to do two things, to deeply trust and exalt and I'm going to, that's kind of my conclusion, actually. We're going to look at those two things together. And as this future becomes reality in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, that better covenant and future becomes our present and lasting hope. Okay, so that's where these, these two things come. And it's for us, and we can be part of it by trusting Jesus. Please join me. Let's pray. We need God's help always when we're seeking to understand his word. So please join me and let's pray. Father, thanks that you're here tonight by your spirit because you meet in Jesus' name. Father, thank you that you want people to reach out to you because you're not far from each one of us. You've made us and you've placed us in our times and our places, Lord God, so that we would know you. And thanks for bringing us to that tonight. Help us by your spirit to see that you keep your promises. And while it was spectacular for David, it's even more beautifully awesome for us in the Lord Jesus. Please help us to see that and trust him, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point that I wanted to make is covenant past, and just to kind of bring us into the frame and remind us about what's happened um, so far. And the first clue, and it's a really big clue that we get about covenant past, is in the first verse of 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, chapter 1. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Sorry, big clue, verse 2. So the ark of God, the ark of God. Um, It was a a box, rectangular box, reasonably large, and it was symbolic of the presence of God because it was kept at the centre of the tent of meeting. So, And only um, a select number of priests would actually ever see it, um, but it was symbolic of God's presence and it was a reminder of the covenant for this reason. There were three objects that were kept in that box, or three things if I can say it that way. The Ten Commandments, which we heard about last week, Exodus chapter 19, God's, uh, God's instructions to his people who would be able to worship him as they obeyed and witness to the world. A pot of manna, which reminded them of God's covenant faithfulness. He provided their food in the desert. And Aaron's staff, Aaron was Moses' brother, and there was a moment when they needed to decide who was going to kind of be the priest um, under Moses' direction, and they laid 12 staffs out there to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Aaron's staff budded, and it was him. So they've collected these things into this box, and it keeps reminding them of God's covenant past, God's covenant faithfulness, but the ark of God also reminds us, as it kind of jogs the memory about covenant, of the very rocky relationship of covenant. God's faithfulness, but Israel's up and downness. So what I want you to do now, as we kind of keep tracking back through this history to set ourselves in the frame, can you find either on your phone or in your papal Bible the contents page? The contents, because what I find is that, especially if I'm using my phone, I kind of do forget about the chronology. And the paper Bible is much more helpful with that, because you actually do kind of keep remembering where you are. But if you just find Exodus and just keep your finger over Exodus, I'm just going to I'm just going to do a little bit of um, refreshing of our memory about the history of covenant here. So. Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy are are the preparation phase before God's people go into the land that he's promised. So Exodus 19, last week, we met God who is meeting with Moses on the mountain, sets people up and says, keep covenant, keep covenant. And then they proceed to get ready to be that kingdom of priests and a holy nation to go into this promised land. Then Joshua Joshua was Moses' assistant. Moses does not get to go into the promised land. Joshua is the one who's going to lead God's people into the promised land. And it is kind of a moment of fulfillment because he leads them in, into Canaan. And it is kind of a moment where God's people are in God's place under God's rule. And it seems like the blessing and the rest has come. But then we get to Judges. The story of Israel in the promised land. And it's a cycle of sin and grace. And what God does is he sends along judges to judge the people according to the covenant law that he's already set up. But to save them in that judgment, to call them back. Because what Israel is constantly doing is turning to other gods. God judges them, raises up judges, rescues them. Then you've got Ruth. Ruth is a really spectacular, almost like footnote, it seems, but here's why it is great news in the story of covenant. I reckon it probably could equally be called Boaz because it's the story of Ruth who seeks a redeemer, someone who's going to actually help her and save her from within God's people. Boaz is the guy who actually does obey what God says, and because he obeys what God says, he redeems Ruth, who is not an Israelite. It's a beautiful moment, actually, tiny, tiny little personal picture of Israel being a priest and a holy nation, bringing the other nations in, one person at a time. And then we've got one Samuel. The elders of of Israel ask Samuel for a king because they want to be like the other people around them. But God's angry with them because they ask for a king instead of God rather than a king under God. They want a monarchy, not a theocracy. And Saul, their first king, is, is a classic representation of how the people are. He just will not, cannot listen to God's voice through the prophet. And so maybe if I can sum it up this way, the history of, of the covenant relationship up to this point is kind of like this. is an excellent landlord and a really bad tenant. Okay? And I'm sorry if you've ever been in that situation as the landlord and your tenants have been bad. Um, I've been in, in, in a situation where I, I've been the tenant and I've been really blessed actually by a good landlord. But this is what it's like, the steadiness of, of God and the sketchiness constantly of Israel. But that's covenant past and that gets us up to covenant present. So it's the next point they want to make. It's a really interesting moment when we get to David in 2 Samuel 7 because it absolutely seems like the covenant has arrived. It's been fulfilled. But God says, now hang on, there's a very long and a beautiful way to go. And we've already looked, I guess, at those first couple of verses of 2 Samuel 7 and how good it is. Have a listen to how Vaughan Roberts describes it. And this is uh, from his book, God's Big Picture. You can grab a copy of it in the foyer. Please, uh, if you're a guest tonight, grab it and take it for free. If you're a regular, please do pay. But Vaughan Roberts says this. The ark, symbolising God's presence and rule, is brought into the city. David rules, not independently of God, but under him. It's really, really significant, actually, that the prophet Nathan is so close there to David and David's listening to what the prophet says, because this has not been always the attitude of Israel. Jerusalem is not just the city of David, it's the city of God. Israel has never before enjoyed such peace and prosperity in its history. Now, The present of this moment depended on God's power, and so will the future. And the greater thing to come is the house that the Lord will build. So David in this moment is saying, oh, hang on a sec. We've got a a problem. The ark of God is sitting kind of outside. And here I am in a building for myself. I'm kind of honoring and treating myself and disrespecting God because the ark of God is not in a similar building. And he says, I've got to build a house for God. And God says to him, no, no, no. That's not what I've been working on. I'm working on redeeming a people for myself and having a relationship with them, not trying to nail down a place where we can meet. And so to to understand that, just to review that together, why don't you have a look with me again to Samuel chapter 7, and we'll go from verse 5. So we're just doing, doing some more backgrounding here, right, so we can understand the significance of what's about to come. 2 Samuel 7, verse 5. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. To this day, I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? <laughs> so he's basically saying, no, that's not my plan. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. So basically just just rehearsing the fact, yeah, no, I've been working on this, and I've been making it possible through you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. So Vaughan Roberts sums it up like this. But still the time of fulfilment has not come. David is not the serpent crusher of Genesis 3.15 or the great ruler from the tribe of Judah promised in Genesis 49.10. There is still one greater to come, as God makes clear through the prophet Nathan." So this is like a false summit experience. Um, You probably had that kind of experience. I I had one yesterday. We were out walking to Mount Stranger, which is just on the edge of Benithon. It should not be called a mountain. It is not high enough. (laughs) Um, But what happens is, like in in any kind of experience of this kind, you you start off a little bit low, and the mountains that you can see look like the only mountains, and it wasn't as though we went up very high, but then we were able to turn around and look across the valley again and see there are some very significant mountains below the ones we saw before, and so on and so on. Perhaps my my best false summit experience was in the Dolomites in northern Italy when we were missionaries there, and uh, we would camp occasionally in this particular location and driving up and up and up and up and up and up and up, and absolutely seemed like um, we, we were where we should have been and there wasn't gonna be much beyond it. We'd crest um, this kind of gap in the, in the valley and we would look down to where we were gonna camp but the mountains that we then saw were just so spectacularly beautiful, um, it just blew our minds. Um, we, what we'd seen was excellent um, but it was an absolute false summit. Um, What was beyond that was the real deal, the very high mountains, the very beautiful mountains. And there's no disappointment in this moment for David. There's no disappointment. like He's not getting shortchanged here. It's just that this is the small version of the very large infinite version that's coming. And that takes me to talk about covenant future. So in the word of the Lord through Nathan the prophet, It's really, really clear that the future covenant is coming, but it depends on a future king. So God will fulfill his promise and keep covenant through the great son of David, the son of God. So have a glance down at verse 12. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever." So, this is the prophecy about the future king. It's very clear David will die. Um, The covenant is not dependent on David living forever, it's not him. There's a really kind of crucial word that that picks up on something that we've heard before and is going to keep being important in the past, and it's offspring. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? The um, the Lord is bringing the curse to the serpent, and he says, um, Her offspring will crush your head though you will bite his heel. And then in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, when God is reminding Abraham about the extent of the covenant blessing that's going to come through his people, he talks about through your offspring. And Exodus 19, that offspring, the descendants of Abraham, are getting bigger and bigger. So this is how God is working. He wants this to be the case. But this very special offspring of David is the key to what God is going to do in the future. And that there's more to say about him. Um, he has a kingdom. Um, so he is a king. But his kingdom is so distinct and so different from anything that has ever been seen before, it's eternal. It's not going to end. His house and his kingdom will go on forever. But his being is so different to anything that has been experienced before. He's fully human in being in the line of the king of, of David on the throne of Israel, but he's completely God because God says, no, he is also my son. And there's something quite peculiar about him too, isn't it? As God describes um, what his future looks like, this son will be punished for his wrongdoing, but his, God's love will never, ever be taken away from that son. <laughs> And just important to note, because it's kind of a curiosity, isn't it, that verse 14? What is that talking about? Well, I think it is actually talking about the Lord Jesus, who did take punishment, but not for his sin, for ours. Um, but who never was rejected, like God describes here, he rejected Saul, because Saul was not obedient. But Jesus absolutely was. And because of his obedience, he actually does become that eternal son, which we'll see in just a moment. But have a listen how Vaughan Roberts describes it, this moment, and why it's so important. Um, From 2 Samuel 7 onwards in the Bible, we are waiting for the arrival of God's king, the son of David. The kingdom of God must be established by him, the Messiah or Christ. Messiah is from a Hebrew word which means anointed one. Christ is from the Greek translation Christos. Um, this covenant promise is partially fulfilled by the great King Solomon who was to build the temple, but it is finally fulfilled only by the Lord Jesus, great David's greater son, the one whose reign puts Solomon's into the shadows. Um, and, and if you know even just the history that unfolds in the next few chapters of 2 Samuel, you will remember um, that perhaps... One of the the greatest kind of sinful moments of all time is recorded there as David commits adultery with Bathsheba. And Solomon, then his own son, who seems to really, really be the one in whom that that promise is fulfilled, just shows that, no, he is not the guy. He is just not equal to that task either. So this promise is about someone beyond David. This promise is about someone beyond Solomon. And the really, really good news is that this is Jesus. And so this is my last point, And I'm going to, after we understand that it is the Lord Jesus, I'm just going to spend a couple of moments thinking about two points of application, like I mentioned before. But in your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 2 that was read for us before. So good, isn't it, to hear these words, the first Christian sermon that Mel read for us before. So spectacular. And remember that Peter's gone from someone who was... Enthusiastic about Jesus, a great fan and a supporter of Jesus, but someone who wasn't convinced enough about Jesus to support him in his most desperate hour. And so this is the guy who was now convinced and let's read just from verse 29, Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. And that's the thing that has absolutely turned Peter's life upside down now. He's seen the risen Jesus. Exalted to the right hand of God, So the promised forever king is the risen Jesus. And a very shorthand way of expressing this is how Paul has expressed it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, descended from David, risen from the dead. Who is Jesus? He's the one that God promised to David, the eternal one, because he's risen. So he's broken the cycle of sin and death and Peter goes on to say, this promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off. And so here's where we enter the frame. The covenant promises fulfilled in the risen Lord Jesus open to you and to me. Because Jesus has risen, what he's offering now is a place in his family, a reconnection with God. And what's going on there in that first moment of Pentecost is this, Which and today is Pentecost Sunday. It's not only a matter of proclaiming the truth about the risen Lord Jesus, but... It's hearing that the offer is to receive the Holy Spirit and have complete unity with God the Father, Son and Spirit. So that there is no longer any separation between you and God. There is no longer any separation between me and God as we trust Christ and he gives us the Spirit and reunites us with God. So the first point of application here is trust. His trust. And it's a very real question, right? Because you might still be sorting through what you think life is all about. You might still be sorting through um, just who Jesus is all about. And this is good. Pursue this. Pursue this. But do also be clear. It's as simple as this. Peter says to their question, what, well, what should we do now? He says, repent. So turn back. Don't Stop trusting yourself as God. And let Jesus be God and Saviour over you and then be baptised into unity with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be baptised, accepting Jesus' death in your place, and be with him in being risen to be right with God again. And it's so spectacular, isn't it? It just seems too, too simple. Um, just to be clear, um, sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car, so sitting in a church building like this does not make you a Christian. And this, this first preaching Absolutely tells us that, right? <laughs> but what does make you right with God is trusting Jesus Christ. And so that's available to you. And, and here's why I say it. Because not only is it the case that Peter, Peter invites people to trust Jesus in that moment when he's really realizing Jesus is the eternal Son on the eternal throne, but it's exactly what David did. <laughs> it's exactly what David did in that moment, right? He doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't make a move. He doesn't have to kind of take a step to do something to please God. He simply receives this gracious message. He trusts God. Um, But it seems a bit out of place, doesn't it, that it can be (coughs) that easy. I had a bit of an out of place moment recently. I went to the induction service for Leon Hribar, who has just become the chaplain to Parliament. It was a reasonably brief ceremony, and the person um, taking us back out to the exit entrance, she had like an access all areas pass, but she didn't know the building as well as she should have. And so what happened is she was leading me and the other couple of people that I was with, she swiped the pass at a door and we all went through it, and the door shut and she said, I don't think we should be here. And where we were was the entry-level floor to the Senate and to the Parliament. And as I followed her, she guided us around, looked in there and the Senate, they're all going for it. And then we come back around here and Anthony Albanese is making a speech in the middle of this massive great atrium to a crowd of reporters and other dignitaries and are all gathered there. I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. And then we keep walking around and on this side is the House of Representatives and she's saying hmm, I don't think we should be here. And I'm like, I'm, I'm really sure we shouldn't be here, but it's very cool. <laughs> Until we would get caught, right? And, and we'd, we'd be in trouble for that, but thankfully we didn't. And it was just such an awesome experience, right? It was this moment of, I really have this very deep feeling this is way out of place, but it's so good. <laughs> That's what Christianity really can seem like, and in a sense, it is. You can have forgiveness with God because of what Jesus has done. You can, have all, you can access all areas in relationship to God because of what Jesus has done. And you can um, get started on that and keep going in that just by trusting Christ. He's done it for you. And you might be sitting there thinking, nah, nah, I'm not good enough. Haven't, nah, blah, blah. And you kind of throw out your usual things. But that's all wrong. <laughs> it's right to feel out of place because God's putting us in a place we should never be. And because of Jesus, that's okay. So first thing is trust. Um, the second thing, though, is uh, praise and worship and adoration of God. So I've got to, I've got to thank a, a post-sermon conversation last week for a little bit of this. It was a good conversation. Um, but in reflecting on, on what David does in that second half of 2 Samuel 7, it's just so beautiful. He just enjoys communion with God. He sits there, and he receives it, and he responds, and he worships, and he adores God. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of what God is actually on about. What does God want? He wants us. He wants us in communion with him and in relationship with him. And in Christ, we have that, and we can enjoy it wherever we are. (laughs) That's why I find preparing sermons so hard, because what I love the most is communion with God through his word. And so often I just sit in front of the passage that I'm meant to be preaching on, just lost in the wonder. Enjoying the Lord as he's revealing himself to me in his scriptures. And then it's like, ah, oh, do I have to really write a sermon, Lord? How can I package all this up and express it to people? The truth is I, I, I can't in many ways. It's just too good and it's too big. But what I want to encourage you is this. Enjoy God. Because as the Spirit is in you, trust in Christ, he is with you. And you don't need to move a muscle. <laughs> and grow your praise of him, just in, in, as you're reading the word each day. Um, sometimes what I find is really, really helpful is, some, is just some good Christian music. I'm really, really thankful for the ministry of the word in song at our church, actually. It's just so helpful. Um, because when we're together, but also I remember, I remember in these songs when I go. It's really, really great. Sometimes I just wake up, literally I wake up and I've got a song in my head, um, it's, a, it's a praise song that we've sung, sung the night before or the two days or the three days before, it's fantastic. Um, and do you know what, that is where it's at, that's where it's at, that, that God loves you and you don't need to move a muscle because he's done it all, and you just need to trust him and enjoy him and love him and adore him and praise him. So this week, can you, can you enjoy that? Um, But be informed by his word, right? You don't need to make it up. You don't need to get into some spiritual trance or some spiritual state. But let his word come to you and tell you the truth about him and about you and enjoy it. Be saved. Enjoy the grace. Um, Let the spirit stir in your heart. And remember that God keeps his promises. And that's what this is all about. Trust the God of the covenant. Because remember, like I said before, he, he's like this landlord who's just exceptional. <clears throat> We're like the tenants. We just, can't, we just can't do it. But Christ has done it for us. So just to reinforce that last point, um, let me remind you of the parable that Jesus tells. It's the parable of the tenants. And he's reminding the Pharisees um, who are gathered in front of him just what Israel is. And he says, a landlord established a vineyard, and that's Israel. He set it up beautifully and he entrusted it to the tenants and then went away. But then when he was asking for um, the 10% that was his, the tenants just beat up everyone, everyone who came and then he said, lastly, I've got a son and I'll send the son and they'll listen to the son. And I love the Mark drama for this reason because in that moment of the Mark drama, um, the Jesus actor kind of works it out like this. He's telling the story and the, the actors are coming going out of the centre and as they play it out. And then when the, when, when, the, when the words, but he had a son, the Jesus actor looks up and he goes, knowing that he is going to die. But it's a parable about the cross, that Jesus has done it and he willingly did it for you. Trust him and enjoy it. Let's pray that we would. Please join me and let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so good. You make promises and you keep them. You have made the covenant and you've kept covenant through Abraham and his descendants, through David and his offspring, that the king would come and through that offspring the whole world would be blessed. And we're testimony to that, Father. You brought it to us. Father, please help us to trust Jesus, your forever King in our place, now risen and ruling. Help us to understand that your Holy Spirit is with us and in us. And help us to enjoy you, to adore you, and to be glad that we have come back to you, the lover of our souls. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.